Hi, and welcome to Off the Record. It is the third week, maybe that sounds right, of January. Uh, we're taping this a few days before the 21st when this will come out. It is currently Martin Luther King Day. You can keep up with us at offtherecord.fm. We have show notes there. You can ask us questions and all that good stuff. How are you doing, Jesse? I am just lovely. I had a really relaxing weekend. Really? Yeah, I mean, I, I only worked like 10 hours instead of the usual 20. Oh. You know, I'm in the office today, everyone's having a day off, and I came in, and right before we started to tape the episode, I was like, I'm going to treat myself, I'm going to get myself a Sour Patch Kid, and my mother had bought me a big box of Sour Patch Kids for Hanukkah. I thought, I'll be a good human being and bring them into the office so I can share them, you know? And I I go to get one of the Sour Patch Kids, and there's only one left out of this big box that had like 50 of them. They were they were just going to eat them all without me. I thought it was incredibly rude. Now my days. Wow, ruined. that's re- that's really bad uh, cohabitation habits of uh, your fellow office. It really workers. is. Punks are heathens. I, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Zach. This is about setting boundaries. You know, like in my cohabitation, like when the bands live at the studio or like with my roommates, we set boundaries like this. Like, yes, you can have my ketchup, but no, you can't have my mac and cheese from the ball or ass artisanal mac and cheese place by the house. That's just how you got to set these boundaries. You know, I mean, with me not making a comment on that aside, I just, <laughs> I just, if I, if someone was sharing with me sour candy, I just would not steal it all. You know, I wouldn't take it all. I would, I would feel guilty. What's your favorite kind of candy, Jesse? I don't eat candy. I haven't, I, I can honestly say, and I, I, Swear to God, this is true. I don't think I've even eaten a candy in the new millennium. Like since since like 1997, I probably haven't. So had like I candy. probably was barely alive. Yeah, yeah, you were barely alive. How is that possible? Because I don't have a sweet tooth. I just started eating dessert like the other week. I don't even. So you just have a wine tooth. Oh uh, well, I don't even like sweet wine that much. I don't even. Everything is. I, I mean, like. So you don't even like, what about girly drink? Oh, no, I love a girly drink here and there, but it's not really the sweetness that gets me with the girly drink. It's like the um, ridiculousness of it. Everything is a lie. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm on a date and the girl wants the dessert, you know, uh, I'll like go for it. But You'll treat yourself? Well, I'll like let her pick out the dessert because I'm a gentleman and stuff, and then I'll have some so she doesn't feel bad about her figure. Sure. Okay. I would feel bad about my figure. I'm I'm a good date like that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, we have two listener questions today. The first is for you. Remember when we said this wasn't going to be a dating podcast? Like, It was truly five minutes ago. Yeah. What did we do? <laughs> nice. Staying on brand. Okay, listener questions. Jesse, how do you guys recommend I clean my vinyl? I know it's very important, but I'm not quite sure to go about it. And this is from listener... At Pat R. Finley, who used the hashtag AskOTR method of sending in questions. And if you do that, we will say your name and make you very famous. Jesse, I would like to add in that um, as an owner of a record label, I also don't clean my vinyl. So why don't you teach me? Okay, so you don't have to clean your vinyl after every use. Now, if you live in a dusty, disgusting hole with a bunch of band people or something, you probably need to clean it a little bit more than most but like every time you put a record on you don't need to do it when it starts having a lot of surface noise or you look at it and you say well that looks a little dustier than the rest of my vinyl that's great the first thing you could do is just buy an average vinyl brush 
they have any respectable record store with vinyl has a vinyl brush. Now, if you got a piece of vinyl and you're really into old music, like so for example, I do a lot of transfers of 78 RPM records from like the 20s. Um, you have to give that a proper bath. Now, those range from 40 to $200 to give the proper bath to. But you can literally just go on Amazon and pick any of those. Whatever's in your price range, it's going to do the thing. But odds are you don't need that even. Just get a vinyl brush. And um, most vinyl brushes come with like a little miniature like toothbrush type thing to really work the things out. You give it some loving, it's pretty much going to be fine. It's not rocket science. Okay. While we're on the topic of record players, I just want to say now since... Grace has left. I've had some time to tinker around with my record players. I just got the speakers in. I have no idea what I'm doing. I got my nice speakers. It came with a, I guess that would be a receiver, obviously. Um, I just, I'm missing a piece of the connection and I don't know what to do. And I'm having, I'm having trouble, Jesse. Which piece of the connection are you missing? So, so I have like the, um, I don't know what wires are called. I, I'm told that I... RCA? Yes, yeah, so I'm told. So I, I got an original pair with the record player to go from the phono amp to the record player. But mm. it doesn't seem like I can plug uh, another two from the output of the phono amp to the receiver. So my friend Greg in the world is said, I need an RCA male to eighth inch male to like plug in. I think I'm gonna, you're, you're gonna take some pictures. I'm gonna and take some pictures. I don't think that's right. I, that's, I don't think that's okay. right. I'm gonna take some pictures and send it to the pro. You know, they, if they use the AskOTR hashtag, they could even do that to me on the Twitter and I'll help. Should them. I do that? Should I send it to AskOTR? Be a good example to our followers, okay. our listeners. I'll, do, I'll do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it public information. Okay, I like it. Anyway, so I have a listener question directed towards me. Um, someone writing in, I run a small DIY label and during release, uh, cycles, I email around to mid-level sites like AP, POZ, and under the gun about song premieres, but I don't always get a response. Am I doing something wrong? Is there any way to guarantee that press contacts will read and respond to my email? Are you really only saying I'm a mid-tier <laughs> site? Like, do I even respond to this question, Jesse? I mean, I, I think that sometimes people give backhanded compliments, but the, the, you know, they're trying to say that you're just, you know, you're not quite stereo gum dog. If only this, if only this listener knew my ego, he would know how offended I am. Don't you know who you think you are? <laughs> oh, I know who I think I am. That's a great title. Come on, Fall Out Boy, dog. That's that's the title. Oh, jeez. Okay, it's actually so, one of the only Fall Out Boy songs I like. You want to have a whole episode dissecting the new Fall Out Boy album? I'm never listening to that again. And I, I, you know, I almost tweeted it that I wanted to say that Uma Thurman song is such garbage and everybody should listen to the proper pop punk song about Uma Thurman, which is the Zoinks Uma 14 times, which is a classic. I listened to it all weekend after I... What are the Zoinks? They're a classic pop punk band. One of the guys plays in Screeching Weasel now. Wait, I need to take us on a major side. I just realized that there was a major news topic this weekend and we did not talk about it to putting it into the show. Oh, geez. What, what, what did we miss? We missed that the punk legends, Dead Kennedys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I intentionally ignored this. Uh, well, Grace brought it to my attention. You know it's bad when your girlfriend who doesn't listen to punk music brings something that up that happened to a Dead Kennedy show up to you. Mm-hmm. Well, 
You can well, Google that, readers. We're not going to talk about it. It's too vulgar. Well, let's also say this, though. That's not the real dead Kennedys. There's no Joe Biafra. So it's basically like a sideshow act had that happen. So it, it's like today. Oh, that's... Ooh, we can't say that in this when we're recording in my studio. Fair enough. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're here in about six hours. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I think something's getting edited out. <laughs> So, to answer the question after our slight derail, uh, I would first like to point out that this is a good question, but I'm really excited that it's timed well because Property Zach just launched a new feature called Get Schooled, where we have dear friend of mine, Jamie Coletta, who's a publicist at Side Run Dummy, doing a semi-monthly column called Get Schooled, and she, as a publicist, um, finds about 10 different ways bands email her incorrectly a week about how to get signed or how to be popular, etc. just like a lot of people do. And um, she's going to be writing about that and give advice, and I'm really excited, and the first piece was really good, and that's in the show notes at offtherecord.fm slash episode slash offtherecord.fm slash tag slash episodes. But anyway, to answer the actual question, no one is doing anything wrong probably if you're sending a legitimate press release to websites. Um, the truth is, if I haven't heard of your band or your label, I don't know why I'm going to listen to it. Like Jesse and I have talked about this a lot, right? Like what, what, I don't know why, how, how do you, how do I get you to stop doing something in your day to listen to something that you've never heard of in your life? Like that's a hard thing to do, right, Jesse? Totally. Very hard. And so the, the unfortunate answer is you're not doing something wrong, but the only way f- for you to get one of our websites to do something on your behalf is to kind of give us a reason that I can't tell you because it's a different reason every time. I mean, one, if it's a if they hire a publicist that you have a relationship with and that publicist is pressing you, you might give it some attention. Sure. To be fair, this man or woman runs a small DIY label. Well, so I think of it as a great example is Tiny Engines, how fast they went from being ignored to not ignored. And really, I think that snowball happened to be is that they had the right relationship. And then Ian Cohen from Pitchfork started writing about Hotel Year and Somos. And then all of a sudden, everybody started paying attention to every band Tiny Engines put out. I think some of this that's also lost is that you just got to get some momentum by some way. And sometimes that momentum is a medium-sized site like Property of Zach compared to a large behemoth like Pitchfork writing, you can go up or down. Like, I think what's one of the things that is lost on people is sometimes people think, like, I have to get the big site to write about me first, or and then sometimes it's that the medium-sized site reads the smaller site, and then they start posting about it, and then the big site reads the medium sites. Like, Todd, who I wrote my book with, the way his band started getting on Pitchfork was that they read some smaller blogs and the smaller blogs were always talking about them and then they posted about them. So I think there's a, a variety of ways. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. You know, sometimes I'll see, for example, um, this band I've been listening to and recommend in the last episode called Bliss, I had actually gotten a press release for them and I archived it right away. Then I saw a lot of my friends talking about the song on Twitter and I listened to the song, I loved it, and then I posted the news. And, you know, there's a really good example of, oh, it's too bad I didn't click that first to be able to talk about it before anyone else did. But, you know, nine out of ten times I do that, I find myself regretting that I turned off a podcast to listen to a really bad song. 
It's nothing personal. <laughs> make make that two of us. Yeah, it's just hard. It's a, it's a really unfortunate hard thing. You have to build up recognition without knowing how and we're all we all just get lucky if we're able to accomplish that unless the music is just flat out incredible and that takes care of it for itself music being flat out incredible and then you're also building up a reputation of just bands that are continuously good yeah there's nothing wrong with being a good guy or a girl either and you know building relationships in other ways trading favors or or so on i don't Um, think it's even always trading favors like you know it's like i think is always so funny is like just being a part of the community like you know like i always i see it time and time again is that like you know if you're writing not just, hey, listen to my mixtape, da 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 on Twitter, like the tweet we get every hour for no reason when we're not, you know, you and I don't listen to hip-hop mixtapes ever, but, like, being a part of our community, like, I'm much more likely to give your band a chance if you're tweeting me interesting things here and there about maybe this podcast or something I wrote. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's be just... Be part of the community. Be part of something. To move into topics, I just wanted to touch on where Property Zach is two weeks after our launch. Um... I think it's going pretty well. Um, the Patreon, some people have talked to me about the Patreon and they've been like, wow, you probably thought it was going to be higher by now. Or did you think it was going to be exactly where it is? Um, the Patreon currently is at like $230 per month at this point, which is where I expected us to be. You know, I hoped, mm. I hope to finish this month over $250 per month and be at $300 per month at some point in February. But to me, the Patreon is like a long-term goal. I don't think I'm going to have an idea if it's actually failing or succeeding until June, really. Because yes, I hope or would have hoped or you know, pipe dream hope that anyone that reads the site would suddenly donate money to us, right? But that's not what I'm trying to do. I want people to be donating to the site monthly because they love the direction and what we're giving them. And I, it would have been foolish, I think, of me to expect hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month when we were just starting out the new direction of the site. So I think it's going to take several months to sort of, one, see if people like the new site, and then two, see if people like it and want it to keep going and want to help keep it going by giving some of their money. It's interesting, though. What's cool about the Patreon is that the majority of people who have become a patron have donated to the highest tier, which I think is a very good thing. But in in terms of writing on the site, I've had a lot of fun doing the commentary stuff. Like it's been relatively painless for me. I've wanted to do it. I tend to do them in bulk. I want to try to start doing them on a more casual basis rather than being like, I'm going to sit down and kick out a bunch of these, but I'm finding myself really enjoying it. I think we've published a lot of great pieces um, it, it's a cool mix between little commentary stuff and then having other people write larger things. It's going to be maybe a little bit of a challenge to, you know, continue having a diverse group of people, but I'm going to, I'm going to try my hardest. Um, what do you think of it so far, Jesse? Uh, well, I didn't look at your Patreon, but I was curious about how's your traffic since then. I know that's not as big of a, your concern, but Tra- I have looked, um, traffic. So we kind of like nosedived honestly in November from uh, October through the end of December because I just won like I didn't want to chase the traffic anymore like I was tired Mm -hmm. and then two I was also putting so much effort into getting the new site together I didn't necessarily have time to since since we launched traffic has by no means come back to where it was when we were a gross page view mongrel but it has come, it's getting back up higher than it was the past few months, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, hmm. 
Because I'm not trying to set the world on fire with traffic. You know? Yeah, just, yeah. No, I know that wasn't your goal. But I was more curious. But I mean, know, I figured so, that like awesome article I wrote about on vinyl systems just would that did really well, actually. <laughs> nice. Um, so it's it's just kind of interesting because I'm I'm really not checking too much how what each article is doing because I don't want to start asking people to write articles on things that I think will do higher traffic or not. I want people to be writing articles that I find interesting or not. And mm-hmm. I hope that other people will find them interesting and then that will lead to traffic. But I don't want traffic to be what's at the forefront of my mind. Um, you, you know, it's a lot like what we've discussed about bands who make good music is that bands who make the good music are the ones who make it because they, they're making the music they want to hear. And what emotionally fulfills them. And you're just making the content that you want to read. Yeah. I mean, what's it's currently like the most, I'm st- I think I need to find out a little more how people think we're doing a few weeks in. Like, I'm, I'm still really, I'm curious to find out. Like, if you're listening to this now, tweet at me or write in on Tumblr or ask OTR or something like what you think of the new direction. If the commentary is interesting to you, if you don't care, like so much of this is still me. Like, I'm going to keep doing this for myself. But I'm really interested if anyone is taking the time to check Property Zach out in a different way than they did four months ago when it was just about news. Because I don't really know yet. Um, I will say, though, that some of the commentary stuff has just taken off. Like, it's done way better in terms of, like, Tumblr notes or tweets than I thought it would. And then some stuff that I thought would do well has just bombed. So Mm. I don't know really what works yet. And again, I'm not catering to what does or doesn't work. I I also, I have no idea how it's going in a bigger sense yet. And I want to start finding out soon. So at the end of 2014, I read this article on the data Shazam has and how people are using it. Funny enough, my father actually sent it to me. I think one of the things we were going to discuss is there's a lot of articles on the internet where like these nerds are like, data is everything for the new music business. Data, data, data. And I think that's some dudes with their pocket protectors getting a little too wild off the ink that's leaked on them. I think there is a lot of interesting things happening in data. I'm always consistently shocked how much people who actually work in the real music business don't use some of the data. And so we found a whole lot of interesting data things that we're going to look at, explain, and dumb down and talk about why some of this is dumb, but why some of this is really interesting. So with this Shazam article, they're talking about how a lot of the big top 40 radio stations are now looking at this Shazam backend to see what they should be playing because other places are playing it and they're seeing when songs are going to break and when songs are going to end, when people like it enough to want to actually find out who it is as opposed to just hearing background noise that was pitched to them by whatever scummy major label radio promotions person does. I think that that's really interesting because like when we're talking about the democratization of music, one of the more interesting things is that like, you know, before, you know, there's always that complaint about top 40 radios that no one knew if like it was a chicken or the egg thing that like, The song was forced on everybody, so everybody just kept listening to it and grew to like it. Whereas this is showing what people are genuinely interested in the first time they hear it. Like, they don't know what it is yet, but they want to find out. Or maybe even the second or third time they heard it. I mean, I don't think I shazammed um, Charlie XCX Boom Clap the first time I heard it, but by the third time, I really wanted to know who it was, and I like the song a lot. Do you think it's kind of more of a thing with something like a radio station wanting to sort of skate to where the puck's going to be? Like, get there first? Well, yeah, I think it's some of that. I think it's some of seeing what people legitimately like. But then there's another thing of that, like, you know, there's a lot of places that are DJed or or running off of Spotify shuffles at radio stations. And it shows what people genuinely respond to. And I think that there's another, like, 
interesting thing too is that you also can see this for you know so like let's say bad timing records decided to buy into this expensive shazam backend you can see which song should be the one you invest in the money for a video by which one um gets people to investigate who this band is first because like necessarily the fan i think that's like also another huge aside is like the fan favorite at first is not necessarily always the song that wins people over that aren't fans yet Definitely. I mean, not using Shazam, but I kind of went down that route with Knucklebuck when we picked who, you know, what we should do their music video for, which ended up being no good. But I, I mm. thought it was going to be a completely different song. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to do a song off of the weight that you buried called Your Back Porch. That was the first song that they released from that EP. It's what made me want to work with the band. You know, it was like it was the first thing anyone had really heard from them. And I thought it was like a, a no, like no duh. And mm-hmm. then I, and then I was with them uh, at a show in in New Jersey, like at a weird venue where it wasn't like a big city crowd, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting to get like the quote unquote like normal fan, not big city fan, like the uh, the suburban fan reaction, you know, because that's not totally. one that I usually see. And No Good, the last song on The Weight That I Buried, like, destroyed everything else. It was, like, two times more popular and more energetic than any other song in their set for the crowd. And I walked away. I was like, wow, we got to do a music video for this song. That's that. Um, yeah. I, and then, I, yeah. I think there's a great lesson in what you just said is it's one of the things I've hated about dealing with, like, the suits um, over the years. These guys will sit there like, that's my favorite song. I know how to pick hits. And it's like... Dude, you're 40 years old, and you say you know how to pick a hit. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, I'm sorry. That's just not how it works. And one of the things is, yeah, you can get lucky, and some of the songs are so good that it just works, and these people get raised up even though their batting average is terrible at this. Watching the crowd and looking at this data, I think, is a really, really helpful thing, is that you can really start to see it. Like, with um, Man Overboard, we did this thing. Um, there's this radio service called Django. We would look at that in last FM and see what people were listening to the most. And that was a lot of what helped us decide to like really push Montrose as a song uh, early on is that like, we thought a lot of the other songs were really strong too, but like, you know, that and love your friends had double the numbers of every other song. Right. And that's why I do like of all the things I don't like is Spotify. Like I really do like that. They publish the numbers for the most popular songs. Like yeah. that's, and that that's there for everyone to find only though the, top few songs though right yes yeah. i think it's like the top five songs yes. but it's still interesting yeah you know, it, it ends up surprising you because you you know we all have our biased favorites which is fair but it, it doesn't mean it's the popular opinion and while rdo doesn't have numbers next to it rdo you can click through the top songs and see every one of the songs of your group ranked of what people listen to the most now granted for smaller acts that's usually just the first song in the record and that's that totally which is also why you shouldn't put your pretentious intro on your song when you're a new ba- on your album when you're a new band. <laughs> just just got to gotta put that one out there. So on Bandcamp, do you like or dislike when bands make like the play song, not the first song? Like oh, I think I, I recommend that to every band. Okay. Some people find that really frustrating. I, when I first discovered that that could be done, because I didn't read the blog post that explained that, which is very unlike me. Uh, it took it, me, I didn't know for ages. I was always like, wait, this is weird. It's not the first song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It, it totally threw for you for a loop. But now I'm like, you know, because that's the other thing, too, is like I want like when somebody tells me to check out a band, I almost want them to say which song 
Because, like, the other thing is, too, especially, you know, I like a lot of emo these days. I've been getting into it again. And, like, emo bands, I feel like, man, they love putting the best song at track seven for some reason. I think a lot of the time because they think that their cool songs where they do tremolo picking are way cooler and they put those at the beginning of the record and they're not actually thinking about which is the best song song. But that's a different story. <laughs> and and so we, uh, and, and the show notes that we published, or sorry, Property Zach published like a story from uh, San Francisco, uh, San Francisco Gate about Pandora and their quest for data. Um, mm, yeah which I thought was pretty interesting, where they're essentially trying to woo artists to their service exclusively in trade for giving them what they would call incredible data to help their band grow. Um, the article is really good. The ending of the article in terms of how they painted Pandora was kind of bad, and, and I couldn't help but agree, where Pandora was essentially, they're essentially making a bet on the data they can give artists, but the artist uh, in question in the article, which was like a weird band, nothing related to our world at all, but they, they essentially said like, hey, this is good, but this is nothing we can't find on our own, or it's not compelling enough. It's not like, you know, it's evidence, but it's not extreme evidence. It's, it's nothing like beyond the mark of what we could find on our own. And that I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, four years ago, I wrote in a kind of open letter to Pandora on MuseFormation that said, hey, as a band manager, I would be willing to let you forgive all royalties on one song, like our most played song, since your royalties are terrible anyway, if you would just give us the email address of the users who like it and put thumbs up on it. So I think it's interesting that they're now trying to pull this data for everything, but it's also that Pandora is in such a dire place with how bad they're run and how overthought their algorithm is, but that's another story for another time. I think this is a bad, bad last-ditch effort, but at the same time, data's valuable, but this band makes the right point, is that you can find this data so many other places. I mean, honest to God, MySpace, God rest its soul, the <laughs> original one, had some of the best music analytics of all time. Like, the back end on MySpace, right as it was dying and going down the tubes, they put out this analytics thing, and it was incredible. Like, it helped Man Overboard make so many good decisions. Like, we learned just, like, even, like, that we should be making more merch for girls. Right, yeah. Um, what's interesting in this article from um, San Francisco Gate, I just realized now while perusing again, my friend Mark Jordan is in the article, and he has a quote that he said there was very little actionable data, and that's kind of, like, the buzzword for data. Like, mm -hmm. what does this data tell me? that I can do, that I should go tour San Francisco more or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and that, that's some of the most important. But the funny thing is you can find that from your fa Facebook data just by clicking your analytics. I mean, that was another thing we learned with Man Overboard is that we had skipped some cities that we had a big fan base in. We didn't right. realize that we shouldn't be playing Richmond. We should be playing Virginia Beach, which is like a pretty short distance at the same time. Second we played Virginia Beach, it was like a holy shit moment for the band. It was like the show was amazing. Right, right. So... It's, it, all of this is to say, like, with all this data stuff that it really, at the end of the day, like, there's so, until one service is incredibly far ahead of the other, there's no real desire for any band to go exclusive with any of them. Especially when it's not like any of these services are ever going to share, like, email addresses, you know, like, that's, yeah. that's just not going to happen. So beyond that, there's no true incentive. Which brings us to another funny chart that we have that you put up, which is... 
Quartz did a survey, or I guess Morgan Stanley did the survey yeah. Quartz published it about what people currently use for music listening. And, you know, while uh, you put the streaming hasn't killed the radio star, whereas I would argue, well, cancer doesn't kill you like a bullet. Huh. You know, <laughs> the, streaming is the cancer that will kill radio. It was. I mean, those shockers are still really interesting. Those oh, yeah, numbers, no, the numbers are, are crazy. Really... The numbers are crazy. I mean, here, here's some of my most interesting the things I that I deducted from it is that if you add up all the streaming music services, that it still doesn't even equal people who watch uh, like those on-demand TV music video channels. Right. Which I have always been saying this, and I did an interview that Hypebot put up as like their best of, and they put up a transcript of it that we'll put in the show notes. Um, with this guy, Andy Gessner, is a big video promoter at uh, Hip Video Promo. And I have always argued the thing that people ignore the most and don't see, like, everybody's like, what's the secret to promotion and getting a big fan base? One of the best kept secrets is if you make a good video and hire a good video promo and get them on that those TV on-demand shows, that's one of the easiest ways to a big fan base. That's, like, Artery Foundation's secret and, like, so many people don't talk about it. I put up that interview, and of course, it still stayed a secret. But if I wanted to say there's any secret, and if there's something that corroborated my view here, it's reading that. 27% of people uh, watch those things. Um, so that's the fourth ranked, whereas if you add up RDO, Beats, and Spotify, it's not even at that number. Yeah, so the the numbers are really interesting. Um, respondents, who, respondents of the survey who currently use... AM, FM, radio are 86%. That's insane. I haven't used the radio in, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, I, put, I When I rent a car since I don't drive, I will put on the radio to catch up on what's been being played. Right, and that makes sense, but it, it's still obviously a majorly overwhelming number. So, yeah. the, so to just walk you guys through a few numbers, um, AM, FM, radio listeners, out of those who were surveyed are 86%. And then from the opposite side... Troublingly enough, RDO is only 7%. Um, Google Play is 9%. Amazon Music, 13%. And the highest, Spotify, is also 13%, tied with Amazon. So none of that's good. iTunes Radio, shockingly enough, is higher than Spotify, which is interesting, honestly. Um, But you got to remember, iTunes Radio is so easy to do now, and it's a lot less painful than Pandora. Right. To, but to me, that makes it, I wonder like, I wonder what that's going to mean for Beats in a year from now when the survey's done again, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, they could go a lot of ways with that. I, I One of the other things I found interesting is how, how high that iHeartRadio is. Right. Yeah, me too. And so I'm I've, the, ne- I've never used I, I To be honest with you, I will fully admit, even though it's in my book, I think the only time I checked that iHeartRadio was to write the paragraph or two I wrote about it in my book. My dad has about four apps downloaded on his iPhone, and iHeartRadio is one of them. Is it because he listens to, like, Republican talk radio with them? It's exact, like, that is exactly why. Ah, uh, I got it now. That's why so, I, that's so why I think don't have it. On the other end of the survey, um, they did respondents who had never heard of services – 2%, shockingly enough, had never heard of AM, FM radio. That's so good. <laughs> 70% of people surveyed had never heard of RDO. 50% of people had never heard of Beats. And to me, that means Beats' branding has obviously done them a lot of good, all their commercial stuff. 33% had never heard of Spotify. There's still so much more market saturation. This is something you and I talked about on the last episode, where there's still just so many more people 
who don't know what these services are. Yeah. Um, and that means there's a ton of room to grow. I, you know, I was, t- I'll tell you, at my birthday party, I ran into some old friends who came out to it. And I had friends who were like the most savvy people who are like hipsters among hipsters of being up on like the latest TV, the latest movies, the latest everything. And I talked to them about Spotify, Beats, and Audio. They're like, yeah, I've never tried any of those. Yeah. They're just <laughs> not, like, they're just, just not there yet. Away. Yeah. It yeah. Blows me it's, away. it's really interesting. Like, they when didn't, you remove one of them it. didn't even know how they worked. Well, it's interesting. Like, when you remove yourself from the, your bubble, like, what, no, who knows what? Uh, yeah. Grace's parents use Spotify and pay for Spotify Premium, which shocked me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm, I will get corrected for the next episode, but I don't know if my mother or father have heard of any of these services. Um, outside of us talking about them on the on you know on off the record, and so there those are like it. The, just the market saturation is super interesting. With that, I mean, I think, I think another interesting thing was though how high up podcasts are. We're talking about this podcast revolution, and podcasts are higher than any of the streaming music services. I love it. Yeah, I come listen that, to us. Yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I did think it was interesting how high, how close Amazon Prime Music is to Spotify, but we kind of said this when we first, I don't know if it was in the article I wrote about it or when we first started, that like really Amazon Prime Music is only going to be used by like, you know, older pe- people like my age with children that are just like, oh, well, I already have Prime. I'm not going to pay yeah, for something I remember else. being interested by the app. And then me not thinking about it again until you just said that right now. Yeah. So I think that that's a very interesting thing, though, just because that's built in. Like, you know, somebody even said it to me the other day is like, because I have Prime. They're like, oh, you don't use that. I'm like, yeah, right. Like, why, why on earth would I? But like, that just shows that when you saturate something, how powerful it's going to be when Beats puts iTunes into it. So I think, though, we have another funny data point, which is this thing that everybody got touted that. MySpace is back. Oh my God, it is? <laughs> no, it's not. Is it because of the selfie stick? Oh man, the selfie stick. Don't what if I, I buy I, you a selfie stick? I, I mean, I, I don't want to hit you, so you shouldn't do that because I would hit you with the selfie stick. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, you want to know what was awful? Drop by, I ran into a friend and he was working at a venue the other night at a music hall. I walked by and he's like, hey, come in here for a second. And there was a girl who was using the selfie stick to get above everybody to take a picture of the band. I love it. Oh, I man. saw that I people like, with I, selfie I, uh, I, venues are quickly banning selfie sticks. Yeah, she was about to get a gluten-free artisanal smackdown from somebody else in the, that granola NPR crowd. So anyway, MySpace is back, right? <laughs> so MySpace traffic is supposedly up 575%. They're getting videos watched and all this fun, fun stuff. And everybody's like, wow, maybe it's a thing. And no, it's not a thing. They are still ranked 16th. Now, all you have to do to think about what it's like to be ranked 16th is think about how many different social networks you use. Do you really use 16 social networks? No. Their traffic is also up this much from November and the sad thing is, is for their traffic to go up 575%, it's because it was down so low that like, it's pitiful. This is like being like, oh, you were in 100th place, but now you're in 80th place. Like, it's just pathetic. have Have you said yet why they did get a bump? My rate reading of the comment system on the, the uh, article I read said it was because that Yahoo pushed them up in their uh, search results. Oh, so it seems though that, oh wait, maybe I actually read this wrong. But so I was talking with someone this weekend and they were like, it's because of throwback Thursday photos. Oh, because people, really Because people are like tweeting or Facebook posting, whatever, like, 
links to their MySpace photos when they were in eighth grade. Ah, that's so funny. The internet is a crazy place. Yeah, I and I imagine there's a whole lot of people in your generation. I that, I signed up for MySpace when I was in sixth grade. Okay, so they, yeah, this is exactly what I was gonna say. Is that like that as well? You might like be going through your hard drive and you might be going like, oh, I don't have that photo. Oh, it's on my MySpace. And you have to sign back in or you go find your profile. You download. You're not somebody like me who deleted your MySpace because you didn't want. You know, all the pictures of your ex-girlfriends from when you were in your 20s sitting around on the internet for people to find. I just hit delete on that thing. I also didn't have many pictures or use it that much, but... So, it's, it's just a funny thing. I mean, what's funny to me is that, like, I don't really see Facebook dying because it has hit such a critical mass of over a billion people, right? Like, MySpace doesn't... like. Facebook is just so much larger and it's more continual. We've been using Facebook longer than we've been using my had been using MySpace. You think Facebook's going to be around forever? I don't know. I don't I don't think it's going away. I don't think it's going away, but I don't think it I I think it's, this I, is the I, thing I, like I, th I think Goliath will meet David at some point. We've just been using it for so long. Well, um, it doesn't feel like very long to me, but I can imagine why it does to you. Well, how I mean just what what products have you what services have you been using longer than Facebook? Like I don't I can't name iTunes. one. Okay. Any others? Any others though? Like, hmm. it's you've just. I've been using Facebook since I was in seventh, sixth or seventh grade. I've almost been using Facebook for ten years. That's a really long time. The only so, other things I've used as long has been iTunes. That's accurate. I had to have a discussion on AIM the other day, and I realized I've been using. AIM. I use AIM every day. I haven't used it in forever. I uh, I've been using some form of AOL instant message for 21 years. Right. That, which is insane. Yeah. That's, an, I, I mean, there's a 20 year punk chat AOL reunion I got invited to this week. Wow. That sounds scary. Honestly, and, be careful. Uh, it's crazy. Bring your, but, but, bring you, your but, selfie you know, stick. Yeah. I mean, I met some of my best friends on that thing 20 years ago. That's how, you know, my punk community formed back in the day. Huh. I mean, that, that's, that's, so that was the, so wait, 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 are you telling me that your punk chat was the first defend pop punk group. Oh yeah, no, but by far the first incarnations of all punk internet stuff was the AOL punk chat and alt.punk and alt music hardcore and I met some of my best friends all through those things. So you've been a prominent member of two defend pop punk groups. I mean, I let's be honest, I'm the father of the defend pop punk group for one. And then for two, yeah, I would also say I was one of the first posters of alt.punk and alt music hardcore as well. Oh, this is great. Yeah, I mean, this I'm basically is... like the godfather of internet punk. Oof, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I think we we're going to talk about is like identity. So one of the things that's been making, um, let's call me now the grandfather waving his angry stick of internet punk what is with all these bands i'm gonna ask you because i, I see one of your bands do it are you is, calling are you calling me out i'm i'm kind of saying i think you need to have a talking to with one of your bands every band is turning into a fucking polling firm like why is every other tweet in every other facebook post tell us about your favorite concert what's the coolest thing you've done in 2015 hey guys what's your favorite song of this year like, when did bands all become a fucking polling firm? Can I tell you why? I mean, I know why, because it gets... Why do you think? Because it gets, one, it feeds bands' egos to get feedback, and all humans love feedback. Two, 
So that's for the small bands. And then two, it helps get their app mentions up and then people see that they're talking to them and they get discovered and it gets things going. Yeah, I think it's really just about like we want to be interacted with engagement engage with the brand yeah so here's my same thing of like we were talking about before of like you know like when we get those tweets like hey check out my mixtape and we never check them out i just don't think this is the right way to be engaging like i think this has gotten to a point where it's like it's silly now asking a legitimate question like we were talking about before hey what song should we do our video for legitimate question you're thinking about absolutely amazing what song should be in our set list for the next tour? Legitimate question. I am sorry. Like, what cool things have happened to you so far in 2015? Give me a fucking break. Like, this is just like, this is getting insufferable. It really is. To me, at least. But maybe I'm just being cranky, even though I don't feel very cranky. No, I don't think you're cranky. Like, I I, I don't know that I'll ever... If So, so let's just... If you... At, but, okay. So, if you... Ask on Twitter, what podcast should I be listening to? Legitimate question, because you are you want to know something, you want to get feedback. I do not think it's a legitimate thing when you're asking what cool things have happened to you in 2015. I do not think it's a legitimate thing when you say, what are the best concerts you've been to this year? It's really just trying to get fans to at message you and, and see that people like you. I agree, I think. I To me, there's a difference. But, like, I'm never going... This is the thing. I'm never going to reply to a band that asks me what my favorite show of 2015 was. Mm-hmm. But if you tweeted, I might reply. Or if you asked about podcasts, I might reply. But if it's just like something so fleeting, especially if the band has like 100,000 followers, like what's I think the it's point? even worse when they have 1,000. And it's just like begging for attention. And it's just one, saying, please acknowledge my existence. I think that's even worse. Yeah, I, w- I would it's- put it under pointless marketing. Yeah. So, but my thing is, is this, is to sum this all together is I'm just at a point where I'm really getting tired of, you know what? Like, I think it's a great example is like bands are doing this because they're seeing other bands do this. And this is like yeah. kind of like the same it thing. It just like, started for no reason. Yeah. And like, you know, it's like funny is, is like, uh, somebody like accused me. They're like, well, you said to do that in your book. I'm like, I never said to do this. I think it's funny that like, there's always this thing of like, when is this a part of your brand? Now, there are some artists who are so friendly in conversation with their fans. Like, there's this guy, Alex Day, who's a great example of it, that it almost is part of the brand, that they're just striking up conversations with their fans every day. But when it, you just become a bad imitation of that, and it just becomes, like, the same thing of, like, the MySpace era of, like, vote for us on this and, like, all that insufferable stuff of, like, share us with your friends and da 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 it just becomes really, really tacky. And I think we're like getting back to that deep V, bad haircut MySpace era with this. And I think it's like good to know who you are and when you're diluting your brand. Like, you know, brand new is never going to do this. And like when these bands are pretending to be serious artists and then doing things like this, it just looks so bad. And like, I really think that a lot of musicians just see the maybe people will listen to me before they like, maybe I should have some class about what my actions are. Are you telling me that Jesse Lacey does not want to engage with my brand? <laughs> I don't think he does. Well, you know how to ruin a boy's day. Oh, man. But so this brings me to another one of my complaints that I think is very similar, which is a lot of us get very angry as we see what's happening to Billboard. You mean what, what outfit did Miley Cyrus masturbate in this week? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, that was a real article. 
Was that really? Yeah, this weekend. Yeah, I'm, but it's a mashup. I mashed it up between two Billboard articles. One, this is a photo of Miley Cyrus wearing a pizza outfit. And two, Miley Cyrus masturbates to Instagram. So, Billboard at one time would link very relevant articles about the music business, and now it has become that. At one time, MTV played only or mostly music videos. At one time, the History Channel did not have things about people who pawn things. It actually had shows about history. While I get that this is just to be more profitable, da 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 there's something about when you start your brand off as, like, specifically things too, like, Billboard is, like, basically, like, the, the hint in the name was, this is the billboard that shows what is going on in the charting world of, like, It should be the most business. relevant thing that we read. Yeah, and then, like, MTV was music television. The History Channel showed things about history. And I think it's interesting. It's just, like, why can't people optimize their model as well as it possibly can and say, you know what? I don't need to be the most profitable thing in the history of time to do this. It's the same thing as like stay on brand. But then like, I also have this other qualm of like, when I was young, there used to be this thing called the Epitaph Records sound. And it was this SoCal skate punk thing. And then Epitaph expanded and they signed some really great bands. I mean, it was a big deal, which is like laughable to a lot of people now is that like, they signed Matchbook Romance. And I'm going to even guess that half this podcast listeners don't even know who matchbook romance is because they've been yeah because they've been dead for so long that it's crazy um but like they signed an emo band the world almost exploded they signed tom waits to anti and the world almost exploded like they were there was a long time that they were in negotiations with rem and like people were losing their minds but now we see epitaph as this well, thing. Now, I don't think Epitaph ever, I mean, even especially since it was started as Bad Religion's label and they, Bad Religion famously had some records where they changed their sound a lot and people were like, whoa, I'm not down with that dog. But like, they never really went on with a mission statement, but there is a mission statement inside Billboard, MTV, and the History Channel. And like, I think it really is that thing. And it's the same thing with bands is like, you don't have to be everything. Just be good at something and find out how to do that as good as you can. And even if that doesn't make you as big as Katy Perry, that doesn't mean you have to try to do everything. And like, I think it's, it's just like, it's that funny thing of the going back to the like deep V bad haircut MySpace band era is like, you saw all these bands, like, um, I'll use All Time Low as an example because they make me want to barf on a regular basis, really tried to be like, we're going to be that pop star band. And, like, some would argue that they came out of the gate like that, but, like, I just think there's becomes a thing of, like, when you try to be what you're not and it gets really, really silly. Like, when you just go for the gold and you're like, I'm going to... I have to keep continually trying to be bigger than I was instead of just being the best thing I can be. And if that works, that's great. But maybe that's the socialist in me and not caring about squeezing every blood from a stone of profit of everything that's possible. Well, I definitely don't think that's what they're doing. Well, I think that's what they want to continue to be doing. But I think in like the case of Billboard, that's when people will eventually stop reading. Am I wrong here that, like, I think there's an unlearned lesson in our society right now that, like, don't have to be everything, like, just get good at what you do. Like, and so the joke we made before is, like, we were when we were discussing this is, like, it's the same reason we're not going to do dating advice on this podcast. 
and like you know we don't have to be everything even though dating advice podcasts are incredibly popular i mean hey to bring it back to the top of the show like that's why i felt like i needed to change the site because i felt like i was betraying what i want my own mission statement you know Hmm. and i felt like i needed to get back to what i wanted to be doing rather than needing to get off track because that's maybe where some of the public was going i think that that's a that's a good thing and like i wish there's like an easy way to sum this up but like I think like when you're sitting there with your band or your brand, there's this like person you and I have talked about who I don't like to name because like naming them will give them exactly what they want. They they continuously do stupid stuff and like stupid marketing. But there was like this big thing that this kid was like stealing funny meme videos and then putting his brand on and then posting them as if they were him to get popular. Like I just I feel like the lesson of that you trying to do everything you can at expense of poisoning the water in the village to like get a few of your competitors dead it's just like it's really being lost right now yeah it's it's i don't know why to me it's just you're not gonna get so far for so long by faking something my point is that i i wish everyone would find more of a way and more comfort to be doing what they wanted to be doing rather than thinking like if if you're trying to fake something for example, like I think Billboard does to win the hearts of their non-real readers, like that's going to end up failing you. And I think that's the same thing for a record label or a band or a manager or anything of the above. Like you, if you really believe in your heart that you want to be writing an article, then write it. If it happens to be something that I, me, disagree with, that's fine. But if you're doing it because you really want 55 new people that are the age of 17 and love Katy Perry to read this like that. You shouldn't be doing that. That's what I was trying to say, but said much better. Well, that's my job. You did it dog. So do you have any recommendations? I have so many recommendations. Oh my God. We both have so many recommendations. Yeah, so, this is so rare. Yeah. So, cause when Grace was here all week, we kind of just watched movies, uh-huh. um, which is rare for me. So, you know, the Oscar list went out. So we just kind of went through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we watched Birdman. Have you seen Birdman? I, I have. I have it on my computer. I haven't watched it yet. Was incredible. Was so fucked up though. Like mm. not in like a. I mean, it was just like so. It's, it was such a weird movie, and I loved it. Really loved that. Um, saw Selma. Really oh, enjoyed that. I can't that. wait to see that. Yeah, uh, that was great. I saw American Sniper. Um, not I that not, was- not not ever giving money to that one. Okay, I I haven't heard like. I, I've suddenly been seeing a lot of backlash for it on Twitter, and yeah, I it's, really it's based all, it's based all on a lie. It's more terror propaganda to get people to justify these terrible, terrible wars we have by omitting the parts of the story that show why war is so disgusting, all in the name of a good, feel good America movie. Moving on, <laughs> I also saw. Um, oh, I'm blanking. Oh, I saw the Imitation Game. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Oh, too. so that was my I'm favorite. I'm so jealous of your week, man. Yeah, that was my favorite of all the ones I watched. Um, it was really incredible, and I learned so much. You yeah, know? I, I've always uh, been fascinated with Alan Turing. I read his biography when I was young. I had no idea that this human being existed. I oh, didn't wow. know this. I didn't know the story at all. Um, it was. It was also just so incredibly well done. Uh, that would be 
that's kind of like maybe my favorite movie I've seen in a long time. I just thought it was excellent. Wow. Okay. Well, um, I know what I'm doing tomorrow night. Yeah, it was just it was super great. I'm ready. I'm, I haven't seen them yet, but I really want to see um, Foxcatcher. Uh, I got. I'm just. I really am just going down the Oscar list, but um, I want to see Foxcatcher too. I'm getting into movies more now that I'm like letting my life go from the internet a little bit. You know. Mm. Uh, so I'm. I'm trying. I'm finding a lot of joy. So what are you what are you recommending? Well, I watched the first two episodes of Twelve Monkeys, and that was unbelievably. Good. I would go as far as say that was the f- best first two episodes of a TV show that I've seen in a long time. Like even Breaking Bad, my and or The Wire, my two favorite shows of all time. First two episodes, I wasn't like, oh wow, this is amazing. I watched two episodes of this, I was like, this is amazing. My favorite band in the world, like period, been my favorite band for ten years now. Uh, Mew put up their first new song in like five years today. It was a really pleasant surprise to wake up to at five in the morning, and uh, it's amazing. And if you don't know who Mew is, you probably also wonder, like, uh, Jesse's music taste. But this is, like, brand new's favorite band, and, like, they are a weird rock band that makes the coolest pop songs with noodly guitars. So if you like the noodly guitar thing, this is what all your favorite noodly guitar bands are listening to and not telling you about. They're the best band, and um, I really recommend you check out their other records. Um, Were the, was their name inspired by the Pokemon? I don't know anything about Pokemon because of my age. That was like that whole thing happened when I was in that thing of like I'm punk rock and I don't have a TV, so I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, you I know. thought you were gonna be like really angry at me for saying that. It wasn't. It wasn't as much as a payoff as I was hoping for. <laughs> I, I, you know, I sensed that antagonism in your voice when you said yeah. that. But, but, I, but you, you know, I flat. stir up. I'm a, I like to stir the pot. Thank you to everyone for listening to Off the Record this week. That's offtherecord.fm to check out show notes to leave us any feedback jesse can be found at twitter at jesse cannon i'm at z zarillo and our podcast is at off the record fm we'll be back next week